What's up, everyone? We've got a Sunday, and it's a special one, because we've got the Sunday special flying towards your face! Adjective. I'm Ryan Matlock. And I'm your, um, gobsmacked host, Michael LeFaver. Are you okay, sir? Oh, yeah. Do I need an adjective? I need an adjective. You don't need to. I gave you the opportunity. You shirked it twice, so you're fine. So I forgot, okay? It's okay. It's all right. I'm your forgetful host, Ryan Matlock. There we go. There we go. What are we reviewing today, Ryan? What are you talking We're about? We're reviewing Red Rock Mysteries, the second book. Yes! The fifth episode, however that works. Of Keys for Kids. Yeah. Yeah, this is episode five of Keys for Kids, Red Rock Mysteries, Stolen Secrets, part one, by John Fornoff. He's here! And- Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. This is John Fornoff's adaptation. Oh. Yeah. So, Chris Fabry's out. Chris Fabry's out. Chris Fabry will be back okay. for Wild Rescue and Grave Shadows. But in the meantime, for the next two books, we have John. And I'm very much looking forward to this because Chris Fabry did the adaptation for Oasis. And so we'll probably get some very significant differences, even bigger differences, in the Oasis version when we get to that at the end. My question, did we establish when we did the side-by-side side com- side side comparisons last time, that was a bit rushed because stress and stuff. Was <laughs> the, um, did we, did we show that Keys for Kids was significantly different from Oasis when we did that, like in terms of the, the in, in-scene dialogue? I feel like we established that at least the styles are very different. Mm-hmm. Because there is no narration. But like the right. scene when they're in the car... We did that. We did a side by side with that. I couldn't tell if they were very different or not. But the car, the car has music behind it. Was one thing yeah. that I found was that's production uh, di- very different. Production wise, different then, and better. Yeah, but then there's also I think there was there were acting differences, which I feel some of that's definitely subjective. Like I think yeah. you liked the acting. I like the acting keys for kids. For a keys lot for kids. And I liked the uh, acting for Oasis. I yeah. felt that the kids sounded less like caricatures of kids i suppose Mm -hmm. maybe yeah you know all subjective well interesting thing going on here it's alternate universe time you ready to talk okay so every iteration well how do i put this the whole red rock mysteries book series from what i understand takes place in one universe the oasis adaptation takes place in a very similar universe. So books one and two take place in a similar universe to the books. It's very close. Keys for Kids, Red Rock Mysteries, exists in a separate universe every book. There is no continuity, at least between book one and book two. There are threads that are similar, but this version, at least the way that Stolen Secrets Part 1 opens, it's closer to Oasis than it is to Keys for Kids with its connections to Haunted Waters because we pick up in the first scene and Lee is there and she wasn't there in in Keys for Kids. Also, we go later on, we actually have, what's his name? Skeeter. And he wasn't there in the previous one. And in this one, we also get a reference to Sam losing his daughter. And his daughter was cut out of the script of the last one by Chris Fabry. So there are little references here and there that clue me into, hmm, John Fornoff really did do a good adaptation of the book, and he did not necessarily consult the previous script because he hmm. was assuming, hmm, okay, things should have carried over. And I find that interesting about how you do like film adaptations. I think Harry Potter, you could also 
argue something similar with that because there's a lot of stuff that's cut out of the Harry Potter books that might that act does become significant later on in the movies and the directors have to figure out okay how do we show that this stuff happened without going through all of the stuff that was in the previous books and just bringing this up in the last in the last movie similarly here there's some stuff with Lee being there where John Fornoff just goes oh yeah she's there and even though she wasn't there last time he doesn't make any effort to explain why she just is there and i'm assuming that's somehow because when you change things about a previous installment of a story that could affect future iterations of that story does that all track you, you know you see the point that i'm getting at i do yeah i do i think some of that i don't know that that's quite as strong like skeeter is just another guy at school right but he, was he wasn't in the book but he, he was cut he was cut from the first keys for kids version where was he in the first book? In the first I don't book, remember him being there. He's at the he's at the end when he's talking to Bryce about going to face what's his face? Uh, going to so go, he was going a, to face Boo. A minor character for like five seconds. Yes, just like he is here, and he was. Uh, no, he's I, no I more, don't. Th- you're right. Yeah. Like I, I don't think that that makes this an alternate universe. It just makes it like I'm saying a universe where there's less Skeeter. I well, I'm saying that if Chris Fabry had done this adaptation. He probably would have taken out Skeeter again. Unless I don't Skeeter think be- so. Skeeter, I think Skeeter plays a bigger role in this book. Ooh, really? Did I just bait a hint out of you? Barely. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, give me something to work with because at this point I, in the series. Yes, well, you baited a hint out of well, me. Well, at this point in the series, I was also going to say starting off the top here, I have no idea what's going on. Absolutely no idea. Oh, yeah. That, I can that guess. That might be for the best. So I was, Hannah was listening to. <laughs> <laughs> one of your one of the one of your theories for Red Rock, uh, book one, and there was a point I forgot that you had said this, but she she was amused because what did I say? there's one point there's one point where you're like, okay, yeah, so they've crashed the 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 car, and I'm theorizing that they're gonna have like this underwater scuba battle. That would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been, been awesome. But it didn't happen. <laughs> I know. And I'm really sad so that was, it didn't happen. Because otherwise, we don't even know how they got the evidence. That's lame. Underwater scuba battle would have been so cool. I suppose it would have. <laughs> anyway. would have totally changed all of the art for every single episode. Really? Or like every single. Like, I feel like that's a big enough moment that all the books would just have kids in scuba gear or something. All the books? All the books. It would be so <laughs> iconic. <laughs> it would just be the same cover for the whole series. <laughs> At least we wouldn't have the new art that we have now, right? Yes. No, then when they single, go to update yeah. the graphics on the new books, they're just like, oh, but the scuba art was so good. We just got to keep it. <laughs> I meant all the, the books, the audio dramas. Yeah. Okay. No, I know what you mean. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's continue. Continue. Uh, do you want a theory right off the top here? Oh, sure. So Let's do I it. do I do have a theory. I, I threw this in at the very end of the last one that we did with the version differences. And that was a special episode. So if you didn't hear that, that's fine. It was long. But here, my theory is my theory was that Sam was the pilot of the plane that had the Timberline's parents and Sam's daughter and his wife on it. And somehow the plane went down and he considers that his fault. However, I am now starting to think, because I've been watching Mission Impossible recently, Ryan, you know this, I'm starting to think (laughs) that Sam is a spy and that he 
doesn't want to have his his face like his picture taken because he's trying to maintain a low cover because he's got a, a an, maybe an operation that he's going on right now. The guy on the phone, Tim, I think is his name, says something about we've been talking about your situation and the director thinks it would be best if you keep as much as you can to yourself. Like we would we don't want to have to relocate you or something is something he says. So I'm I'm wondering if he was involved in taking the plane down because the plane was about to be hijacked or something. But he didn't realize that his wife and daughter were on there. And so after doing that, they they gave him a long leave of absence. And that's how he ended up here. And now, yeah, that's my theory. I don't think he's a terrorist. I think he's a spy. Okay. Okay. All right. Audience, if you know, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll beat Ryan in saying that. But If you know, you know. I also have another theory. At, at the very end of the episode, I, I think I know what they saw when they went in. What do you think they saw? So they get to the the room outside of Sam's office and Sam isn't there because he's somewhere else. They know he's not there. And so it's weird that the door is open. Bryce br- pushed, pushes the door open and yells, which is, I love that moment. Uh, I thought that was a really <laughs> clever way to, to show like, okay, he's trying to intimidate people in there and he's, he's doing it like bravely, which is cool. I have, I yeah. get to see how he actually acts if there's another bad guy in there. But then he gets to the, the other door outside Sam's office and goes, all right, send the squad car around back. And then kicks open the door. And they get in there. And Ashley goes, Bryce, look. And I'm guessing what they see is that there are Band-Aids on every single surface that you can possibly see. And Dylan is just there <laughs> sticking them all over the place. Because I have learned not to trust cliffhangers in this series. So I don't, I don't care at all about this cliffhanger. Because last time we had a cliffhanger... Dylan was asleep on the ping pong machine. What would you say if I said you're pretty close? <laughs> Is Dylan asleep? I'm not on... saying you are, but I'm just curious what you would say. I would say I have learned again to not trust cliffhangers in this series. That's fine. That doesn't seem like a Chris Fabry thing to do writing the book to put a cliffhanger, put put a dramatic moment that early on. I'll put it that yeah. way. Sure. Anyway, what do you think of this episode, Ryan? I don't even know. Um, okay. Okay. You haven't Let's heard see. the Oasis version, though. Yes, that is accurate. Ha. So all I'm going off of is my childhood reading of the book and then listening to the episode and then perusing the book because there were things that happened in the episode that I was like, I don't remember that. Did that happen? Oh, it didn't happen. This is just completely new. Ooh. Okay. Um, okay. So there's a few I had a few notes on the episode. First off, the the girl uh, Marion, I think, Marian. at school. When I heard her character, I was like, I don't remember. Does she not exist? A character like I I don't remember a character like this. So I consulted the book. And the reason I didn't remember a character like this is because the book doesn't make her this caricature and so off the rails. <laughs> the book the book describes her as a smart student who has a few weird theories about things, but she doesn't go around like touting the fact that she's weird. Like, so here's a direct quote from the Keys for Kids episode. Would you like a slice of my all-natural, hormone-free, organically grown apple? It was raised on a free-range apple farm, and it came out of my recycled, eco-friendly paper bag. (laughs) So in the book, what that looks like is... She is Ashley basically saying she offered me an organic apple or or an apple that she said was organic out of her paper, out of her paper bag. 
I love John Fornoff. I love John Fornoff. Okay, tell me more about that. I don't know whether I like him right now. <laughs> okay, continue. No, please tell me why you love John Fornoff. I love it because this caricature. I don't know Marianne's character beyond this episode, but she's a great foil. And maybe if she's supposed to be taken seriously later on, she'll have an arc that I can actually grow to appreciate her. But if she's a one-off character who's meant to be to give Ashley, make Ashley a neutral space in seeing what's going on, she does a great job. And it gives this episode a levity that I feel like might have even been missing throughout some of the other episodes. If Chris Fabry's Keys for Kids uh, Red Rock was similar to Chris Fabry's Oasis audio Red Rock, similar to Chris Fabry's book with Jerry Jenkins Red Rock, it... I'll say it again here, it seemed pretty dry. And to, to hear, to have high energy, even in the small things, I felt like the humor and the, the energy of each of the scenes was very prominent. I think that's something that John Fornoff had his hand in very much, and that's evident from who Marion is. So, just because it's different, I don't dislike it, and I think there's a lot of potential as a humorous character for her to... I'm saying too many words, I'm going to stop now. Continue. Okay. My take on it is it seems very on the nose. Like if you if I told you huh. to to write a character who is very into like like she she eats organic and she makes sure to always have eco-friendly recycled things and she so she's very crunchy but she's also just like all the insane theories about everything. You could write a character like that in a way that it seems organic. Uh, pardon the pun. Um, it, like Because when you meet people like that in real life, they're not just like suddenly in your face. Hey, by the way, I have a theory that, that makes no sense. And also, would you like to pull an apple out of my organic eco-friendly bag? Like there's ways to bring out that those things are there without just having the character narrate that those things are there. What about when they're 13? I've never met a 13-year-old who decides to tell me the ins and outs of their paper bags. Okay. If you have, yeah. <laughs> feel free to tell me I'm wrong, but I I feel like that's another that maybe is a trap because the Red Rock Mysteries books have I feel always treated all the 13 year olds like they are not dumb, not like dumb 12 year olds, but like smart, almost 14 year olds. Okay, that works, which I liked, you know, growing up, I liked a book series that didn't treat the student, the kids who were my age, like they were young and immature, but treated them like, well, I mean, you're you're barely you're basically almost in high school now, so. At the same time, um, is immature the only way to read that? Well, I, if, I feel like the 13-year-olds the that you're saying in real life, these 13-year-olds narrate their paper bags. That would be immature 13-year-olds, right? Well, she narrates the apple. I assume you mean that's more about the apple. Well, I'm saying bread. in real life. It's no, been a while she, since so she, sa <laughs> she says, would you like a slice of my all-natural, hormone-free, organically grown apple? It was raised on a free-range apple farm, and it came out of my recycled, eco-friendly paper bag. Yeah, okay, she doesn't read the bag. It's been a while like, since that was 13, lot, yeah. That, that's a lot of adjectives to attach, and, like, 
do you need to say it came out of my paper bag when huh? you're handing something to someone out of a paper bag? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, like, that's, that, that's, that's what a, I'm saying. That's is that a good point. The, this is like dialogue that's here to tell rather than show that's what's happening. That's completely fair. That specific line, completely fair. Is that indicative of the rest of the episode and the way that she's written in the rest of the episode? Or is it just that one line? I didn't write down all the lines. <laughs> well, did you did you did you remember them being indi- that indicative of the other um, lines? Like, oh yeah, the, if I the this concern is how I, I had with others with other lines in the episode. First, what I'm comparing is how she's portrayed, in, uh, obviously, because I'm looking at this from contrast with the book because the book was my first love as far as the series. Sure, and with the book, it, it would be like if. I'm trying to think of an equivalent like pop culture character. Okay, so you know Hermione from Harry Potter. Yeah. So in the book, she's frequently kind of geeking out about, you know, like Hogwarts of history and everything, right? Yeah. But it's not like every line, right? It's it's you know, it's here or there and it shows that she's geeky, she's a bookworm and that's what she's into. And sometimes maybe she has ideas about things that aren't quite in line with the way wizards would do it, but that's fine. Yeah, she's got now, a imagine... lot of those moments about a lot of varied things, um, and I think every line right. could be can indicate this is how she acts. And you can put her in any right. situation, she'll act in a quirky way. Now, imagine if they took the movies and they cranked up a part from the books that wasn't really like focused on a ton. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, this is a minor thing that she does sometimes. And that's kind of quirky. Like how she organizes spew to liberate the house elves in that one book. And then like sort of through like one or two other books. Um, Imagine if they crank that up to 11 and in every book, that's all she's doing. Every book. Even though it's not an, yeah, yep, yep. Okay. Or Mm -hmm. like every movie. Well, that's mean, sort yeah. of how it, f- yeah. That's sort of how it feels with the conspiracy theories in this iteration, because like she brings up conspiracy theories about everything that she possibly can. Whereas in the books, it's subtler. Every once in a while, she's kind of like, "I wonder if this thing's a robot," but she's not over here crafting these conspiracies about every single thing that comes up. Yeah, when and we first meet her, she has what? like the whole yarn on the wall meme thing going on, right? And that is in the book, like as far as or, well, like as far as her being able to pull together and deduce which students it might be, that is in the book. Absolutely. One hundred percent and totally properly represented as far as her being able to just pull that together right away. And that's maybe why I like I'm kind of cautious about how this character is going to be treated Because if you take a character who in the book is like, okay, yeah, she kind of has conspiracy theories every once in a while, but overall, she's really awesome at deduction and she's very smart. And then you take that and you make it, she conspiracy theories all over the place, but every once in a while, she's smart. That's a complete 50, like like a complete 180 reversal of the character. Combine that with the fact she's only in two scenes in this one. And one of those scenes is her quirkiness cranked up to 11. I can understand where you're coming from with that. So. That's that's my main uh, thing that I took away from this episode, like as far as like wondering what I thought about it. I thought overall it was done pretty well. I There were some scenes that I really liked, like when Bryce tells Skeeter about uh, Ashley burping and broccoli. I thought that was pretty oh, funny. That it, is beautiful. 
Is Skeeter that <laughs> awkward in the book? Oh, you Skeeter can't tell me because he's that awkward in the book. Because here's what happens in the book: Bryce thinks about telling Skeeter that, but then doesn't. Oh. <laughs> So oh. Bryce narrates it in the book. He's like, I wanted to tell Skeeter these things, and but then I I, ta- I thought better of it because it probably wouldn't do anything anyway. And I like the way the book handles it. The way that the audio drama handles it, it it's sort of funnier because like the thought of someone thinking about telling somebody that, that's kind of funny. But Bryce just walking up and being like, she burps. She picks broccoli, <laughs> she gets out of her broccoli teeth. in her teeth. <laughs> And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, this is a weird conversation, but I mean, that's an he aggressive really, attempt. Yeah, he really wants to derail Skeeter here. Yeah. And then like Bryce's intimidation skills in the book, Ashley narrates most of what he does <laughs> to hear it just happen is pretty funny. And I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, the fantasy report that Ashley gives, there was a lot of context that was actually missing that I thought that would have like what is in the book would have made for very interesting thematic elements yeah so um, so there's there's a little thing here uh can i mm-hmm. can i jump to this sure um so ashley's got a three line in this episode and i think john fornoff does a good job with identifying a theme and then running with it so mm-hmm. at the beginning we get a different dialogue that annoyed me a little bit because it was kind of different of sam saying i'm so sorry about this why? What are you sorry for? For killing your father. And then they're in denial through the whole episode. They don't actually think he did it. They're, they're trying to figure out oh, what happened here. I, I don't understand this because if they actually think he did, then I think Bryce would be a lot more cold towards Sam when they have that scene together. But he's not. He's he's fine. I think he's like, there's more context here that's that's going to change the answer to this. You didn't actually kill our dad, right? Uh, that's that's the, the perception I got from this. But Ashley, after that, writes in her diary and she says, what would you do if you found out that your stepdad is the whole reason your life was turned upside down or, or, or something? I don't have the exact quote. And it's really, really good because she ends up having this thought of what if my life were were normal? What if this stuff wasn't happening? And I think she maybe she's even thinking of her, her seizures that she's having there. And that's probably a thing in the book. But there's a little bit where she's reading the words of Jesus where he says in the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. And she closes the Bible and says, is there ever such a thing as a normal world? Next scene is her talking with, Oh, I guess Marianne is in another scene. So, Oh, well, whatever. That's three scenes. But then after that, (laughs) that makes me more sad. But then after that, well, and uh, then again, Marianne's line about, apparently he has two arms when she's talking about Danny Ingram. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was that was funny to hear her delivery on that. But then the what if it happened another way prompt ends with her saying all was beautifully normal. So I liked that set of three with Ashley of at the beginning talking about her world being turned upside down. And then is there ever such a thing as the normal world? And then her writing assignment of my dad was alive and everything was normal. I like that. Yeah. So what's the context that we're missing? So there is a lot more time that is put into this project by both Ashley and Bryce because they share homeroom for this uh, one particular assignment. And there's one point where Bryce hears that Ashley is doing a paper about their dad and he realizes that whatever he had in mind is just like it pales in comparison and he tosses his idea in the trash. Ooh, 
and that whole thing is cut. And then I think Bryce doesn't even give his report. I think he ends up giving it about a basketball thing where he ended up messing up and uh, they lost the game kind of all because of him. Okay. That sounds like a creative prompt. Yeah. And both of those elements, I feel, lend a lot to Bryce's character, but them being cut from this episode, it makes it so that he gets less of an opportunity to or like I feel like there was an opportunity and I I'm not sure if I've quite thought through exactly how to do it. But with those two prompts, like sort of it's both Ashley and Bryce trying to sort out their inner demons through this book rep- or this report to write a fantasy essay and fantasy essay me- a- meaning what it is in the book. And in this one, the what if it happened another way prompt, right? Well, the the prompt for them is to just write a fantasy uh, story. So actually, in the book, we don't even get this in the audio drama that the point the teacher wanted everyone to do was to to basically kind of create a world that was fictional. And the teacher in the book, actually, when Ashley starts, uh, everyone kind of raises their eyebrows. They're like, this doesn't sound like a fantasy this sounds like it's in our in the real world this sounds like you're just telling a story from your life i don't think you understood the assignment but then they all start to catch on as she goes through the story that because they know that her dad died in a plane crash and it seems like the story is going towards the opposite they realize oh my goodness it is fantasy because it's her fantasy about what could have been dude that's and the, awesome. And the, Why don't we get that? Yeah. That would have taken like yeah. 10 extra seconds to set up in the scene. And it would have been awesome. Yeah. Instead of the teacher and saying, the, the teacher, teacher says, in Keys for Kids, what if it happened another way was your prompt? Not fantasy. John yeah. Fornoff, what are you doing? <laughs> and the you teacher in the book you like is face palming at her desk. Like, oh, uh, I can't dock you for this because this is really good. But also... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what am I going to do here? Oh, that was that was also that was not the assignment, but that was the assignment. I don't know whether to dock you or praise you here. <laughs> and so Bryce does the same thing or or what? No, no. So so Bryce, uh, he tells a story. Basketball. I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying fantasy? to remember what he did. Uh, I think he I think he told like some story about him being like an awesome basketball player or something. And oh. it's fantasy because in real life, he messed up everything. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I don't remember exactly. I might be wrong on that, but that's what All I remember. Right. That works. So, yeah. yeah. So, so that's that to say, like, I feel like the book, there, there's a lot of depth here that's pretty cool in the book. Mm. And so I read and I, I, I listen to the audio drama and I'm seeing some places where I enjoy that it's dramatized. Uh, uh, dr- dramatized. Dramatized. I enjoy that it's dramatized now. But also with it being cut down to like, we got to get this done in 25 minutes. There's a lot that gets lost. And obviously, you know, it's it's an age old argument. The book was better. But I do think this was something that could have translated pretty well to the audio drama. I'll be ready to read the book from a different writer's perspective, going from John Fornoff and what I know to back to Jerry Jenkins and Chris Fabry and trying to analyze it using the appreciation for the last book that you gave me at the end there. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. What about the setup of the mystery? Is that generally the same here? Or the, Generally, yes. So we've got two, the two threads of what's going on with Sam and also 
who's Danny Ingram are, are the two the two threads that are set up here. And uh, we'll see what happens with Skeeter. I, don't, I, I didn't pick up on that here, <laughs> that he would be relevant. He's not. It's not a major mystery part, if that's what you're thinking. Oh, no. OK. Does he does he try to uh, be forward again with Ashley in the future? I think so. Oh, no. Okay. I don't remember. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, does, um, what do you think about Marion's saying, I think that the guy tried to kidnap them and they, when they wouldn't go with him, he ran them over with his car or something. <laughs> Is that the same way in the book? Do you remember? I don't remember that one specifically. What do you I, feel I, about I check- that, though? <laughs> <laughs> uh... Okay, so if I read the one? book, that's a funny that's a funny line. Yeah. <laughs> like just because it's so ridiculous, like, oh oh really? The people you see standing before you no. got run over. It was before that when they were missing. Oh, the oh, okay. Well then. Um I thought I, I think it's funny. I'll just leave it at that. There we that's go. Funny. Okay. Uh there's a line that Bryce has when he walks in and he smells he smells pumpkin, uh, because Ashley's journaling. I think she has a candle lit or something like that. And she yes. says, here, come read this. And he says, do I have to light a candle? He's like, no. He's like, oh, well. If they come up with a candle that smells like Mountain Dew, I might give it a shot. Yes, my man. Ew. <laughs> Why not? That sounds awesome. It's Mountain Dew. What does Mountain Dew smell like? It smells like Mountain Dew tastes like. What does Mountain Dew taste like? Sweet, lemon, lime, citrus, because it's or it's got orange juice in it. You knew that, right? I feel right? like it should taste like water that has slid off of a mountain. No, he's saying Mountain Dew because Mountain Dew. I know. I'm saying I think Mountain <laughs> Dew, the product, should taste like water that slid off of a mountain. No. Just that... like it's mineral water. Well, can we call it something else? Like, Mellow Yellow is already taken, taken like um, caffeine rush. You could call it death by green drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> sugar crash? <laughs> Sugar yes. crashes. Yeah, that's that's sugar it. Sugar crash. Crash. No, you've got orange crush. Now you've got sugar crash. We've established this on this podcast. Who knows what iteration I or universe. I want to be named Sugar Crash. You went there? Why? You had any reference you could make. Anything. It didn't even have to be relevant. You chose that one? Sir. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that was better. Okay, I think that's generally all that I have to say here. I enjoyed this episode. I thought this was the most engaging of the five Keys for Kids episodes I've heard. And maybe that's because... I'll agree with that. Okay. And we'll we'll have to see where this goes. I don't know anything about the plot or how John Fornoff's going to continue the theme, but I trust him. I, I trust his writing, and I want to see how he follows through on making an audio drama out of the book. Not just a straight adaptation, but because he's proven that he will change stuff. I want to see how much stuff he does change. So uh, I am fascinated to learn what that is as well, like how how much of an extent he'll change or add, because there's another thing. I checked the book on this, uh, at least up to this point. There's no problem with the color red for Ashley, but it's brought up a couple times in this episode. Ooh. So I'm curious whether I just don't remember that being an issue later in the book. Or whether that's just an entirely added thing for John Vornoff that'll become apparent later. So, so he doesn't use it against Skeeter to say, like, if you knew... Nope. I loved that line that was, besides, if you really knew her, you'd know that she hates red. I'm wondering if that's a subtle thing to, like, you probably shouldn't ask people out or be forward to people who you don't know very well. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I, I appreciated that. 
but there's uh, something that we need to bring out here that I think because Uh-oh. Chris Fabry didn't do this Keys for Kids adaptation, John Fornoff had a slightly different interpretation of Dylan is in one scene yes, and right? he's adorable. He is. That's what Dylan should be. He just shows up, has like three lines and says, I got a scratch. And they say, you put band-aids everywhere except for the scratch. Yep. I just imagine That's his whole Dylan. body is covered in band-aids. That's my, my Dylan. Thank you, John. Yes. Let's just uh, wait to see what he does with him in the future. I don't know how significant Dylan's going to be in this series, but we will, uh, we will talk about it if we get Looking there. Looking forward to it. All righty. Let's wrap this up. This has been the Return to Gilead Sunday special. I am excited to jump into this series, and now that I uh, get to finish this recording, I can go and listen to episode two because I really want to find out what's in that office. <laughs> I have no idea, but for now... Uh, text me when you find out, and uh, we can we can talk about that. We, we will talk <laughs> about it. Ryan, how can people in the past get in contact with us in the future? Well, they can go to returntogilead.com. It's a location on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you type that in, it'll resolve to my Cloudflare account, which will then... Oh, yeah, that's how people can access it. They don't. They do it all the time. Cloudflare, it is a uh, DNS... What DNS masking, I think, is what it is. I forget what, what you call it. But <laughs> what it does is it makes it so that you can't directly connect to returntogilead.com, the server that's set up. But you connect to a proxy server, which is out there, which makes sure that I don't get brute force attacks, which means that people can't just hack my IP address. That's how that works. Do you do you know more now, Ryan? I am so educated. Oh, you know. Anyway, that's how you can get in contact with us. Go to returntogilead.com slash contact. Let us know what you think of the Sunday special. Let us know if you think that John Fornoff did a good job on this episode or not. Uh, We'd love to hear your takes on this because uh, we're sheltered homeschoolers. We don't know. In the meantime. I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you all in the next episode as we once again take a look at Red Rock Mysteries. Mm Mm-hmm.